Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Coco Mears, CEO and co-founder at Equilibria, a women's wellness company. Prior to this, she was a founder and CEO at Pretty Quick that was sold to Groupon, and she ran it for a couple of years internally there. And she's also an angel investor and advisor through Rebel Collective. So excited to have you here. We have we have stories upon stories that we can get into. I know that even before we were uh, going live, we were talking and talking. And finally, we we're like, wait a minute, we need to record. So is, let's get yeah, into this. Is this a podcast uh, or not? Yeah, is this a podcast? Is this just us hanging out and, and having some coffee? So. We can go in a bunch of different places. I know we have Pretty Quick and we also have Equilibria. Let's start with Pretty Quick. And why don't we go through a little bit of just a quick backstory about what the company was, like what you guys were doing, and then we can just dive into a little bit of like how you found product market fit and started to actually like sell the thing. Awesome. Well, it's so amazing to be here, Alex. Thank you for all that you're doing to give back to other founders who are trying to solve super tough problems. You know, this is this is near and dear to my heart. One of my favorite sayings is if you build it, they will not come. <laughs> I don't think that, you know, even the best technologists and, you know, passionate founders are as focused on go to market as they absolutely must be if they, you know, want to have a business. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. This is awesome. So happy you're here. So pretty quick. I feel like I'm talking about my first kid. Don't tell my real human kid that, but pretty quick really <laughs> did come first in my life. And and every time I tell the story, I, I look down at my nails and I'm and I'm like ashamed. So I just want I want the record to show that like, you know, the problem is real, guys. You know. <laughs> Uh, if for those of you who are listening audio only, I'm showing Alex shamefully that my nails are a mess with some nails manicured, some nails not. And this is a dip manicure that's been on there for about eight weeks, which is to say that busy women find it difficult to prioritize self-care. That was true for myself when I was a young professional living and working in Europe and flying internationally. That was true when, you know, now that's true now, now that I even have more items in my portfolio. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just kind of the reality of living a multifaceted life. It can be hard to pause and prioritize yourself. However, when you do have these moments of self-care, there is still not a marketplace that aggregates the $70 billion salon and spa industry. Every other consumer industry that you can think of, hospitality, food, transportation, obviously has been disrupted already by one, if not two or three, or even kind of the next round. I think about open table and who could ever displace open table. And now we use Resi and we use talk and like, you know, there are, there are now phases of marketplace disruption in these big, large consumer services categories. And yet there are still not a leader in salon and spa. Why? The reason is because there are over 150 different calendaring systems which power the industry. It is a highly, highly fragmented industry when we think about the SaaS landscape that, that powers these businesses and, 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 and namely, you know, captures appointment reservations and, and manages the calendar. It's also just, you know, the, the kind of the, 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 the 
primary market itself, the salons and spas themselves are highly fragmented, all SMBs, very little, you know, consolidation or sort of big yeah. franchises in the industry. So, you know, the, the vision of Pretty Quick was to make it easier for women to book salon and spa appointments to access, you know, who was close, who was good and who was available. But little did I know at the time I was a non-technical founder, first time entrepreneur, you know, and I, I knew I was passionate about solving this consumer pain point, but I flung myself, you know, headfirst into an extremely challenging, an extremely challenging technical problem space where supply and demand are constantly changing all of the time. And as I mentioned, due to the fragmentation, barely meet. And, you know, marketplaces are just so, so difficult. So for the first one I chose, it was, it was quite a doozy, but I, would, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. So I, and this is something that you and I talk about all the time around marketplaces, because I've done a couple myself. They're tough. They are beyond tough. I know that a lot of people go, oh, you just, you know, you get your buyers, you get your, you know, you get your hosts and, and you put them together and a piece of cake, except it's not, not that easy. It, conceptually, it sounds easy, but it, it is one of the more challenging type business models to have. So you were obviously having it so that all these women could go onto the platform, be able to book the different services that they want and make it as seamless as possible. How, when you're first getting started, even, even while this thing is moving, and you're talking about there's all this, this fragmented industry of all these different SMB owners, how did you figure out how to get all of these owners, this, essentially the supply, onto your system? If they all use different technology in and of itself, there is obviously a wide range of types of business owners, different ethnicities, different languages, different all of that type of thing, in different areas all around the world. How did you figure out how to get them on and have that great experience that you're talking about? Man, I there there are about 67 answers to that question. <laughs> so I'm going to boil it down to to two. But I love, I just want to double click on what you said about marketplaces. I mean, you know, I, as an investor now, I, I have not invested in a marketplace. I guess I never say never, but they are so hard to get right. And you hear about so many of the successful ones because when you are able to scale them, you know, they're, they're, they're beautiful businesses and network effect is real. But, but, you know, I mean, to get supply right, dense, quality, online, engaged, active, to get demand the exact same way. I mean, especially hyper-local marketplaces where you've got to be like, you know, there in, in, and we're not talking about cities, we're talking about blocks within cities. And then to connect them all in real time with a product that is uncompromisingly delightful is really fucking hard. <laughs> so really hard, really hard. Yeah, I think all marketplace founders just need like a lot of, you know, therapy and, you know, whatever their their just, vice of choices. Yeah. Very well, stiff martinis. CBD, yeah. <laughs> Lots of CBD. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, so you talk about, about, you know, your question was really more about the supply side. And I want to answer that in two ways. This yeah. is a, this is, you've done such a great job engaging founders, talking about go to market strategy and like selling. But before you start selling, you've got to make sure that you have a product that they need. So as I mentioned, the, the, like, the promise of Pretty Quick was to 
you know, make it easy for consumers to come and book appointments. But so, so naturally, our conclusion when building the first version of our product and the use of proceeds of the entirety of our first round of funding was building, as you might expect, a really great calendaring system. If you must know the calendar in order to slot demand into supply, why not build a better calendaring system? And of course, you know, we did a lot of customer development and a lot of customer research and our salons and spas said, yeah, of course, totally. I need, I need, this is like this crappy system that my uncle built for me. Like, I don't want this anymore. Like, oh, yours could be free. Cool. Like a freemium, awesome cloud-based SaaS account, like, you know, tool to run my business. I want it. I want it. Always nodding, always smiling. So I thought, great, easy peasy. I can like smell my IPO coming, right? It's like, so easy. I just built a calendaring system. I've got all these customers. Like, it's going to be great. They totally want this. They told me they want it. So I, I didn't have a technical co-founder. First mistake starting out. Well, I probably already made a hundred mistakes, but this is the first one I really knew when the agency that I had worked with built like a really great, you know, calendaring system. It was like super sleek, super awesome. Great on mobile. You know, like it was great. And I went and I said, okay, here you go. Here's the product on a silver platter. It's for free. Like, use it. You, you said you wanted it. Use it. How many of them switched? How many of them successfully used what I offered them? Do you think, Alex, my friend? Uh, I'm going to say one or two, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically zero, rounding down to zero. Yeah. yeah. Because the switching costs are so real. Like people can have a business need for something, but are they really in their like real lives as humans who are running a business, who are answering the phone, who are hiring people, who are dealing with payroll, who have customers to serve with a smile on their face. Are they really going to take the time to adopt this like thing that you think is awesome, that you think that they need, but do they really need it? Like I think, so lesson number one is hair on fire problems only. Only morphine, no vitamins. I gave them a vitamin and they needed fucking morphine. So, so... The morphine for them, the really, really deep pain wasn't my calendaring system could be better. It was, I have empty seats. I have fixed costs, my rent, my, you know, payroll every single month. And so anytime that I have an open seat, that is a missed opportunity to maximize revenue. So what I, what we, what we learned, you know, in phase two of our go-to-market attempt with Pretty Quick was to stop wasting our time with a nice to have and only build what most immediately addressed their problems and that they would pay for in the beginning. So we built a very sleek software agnostic alert system that slotted into their everyday lives as business owners. When you, Alex, would come and, re and request an appointment with Pretty Quick, what would really happen in real time is, you know, the phone would ring via a Trilio API, a robocall, and they could accept or deny immediately. The, the SMS would ring because sometimes they're on the phone and they couldn't answer. A Raspberry Pi cool hardware thing would light up, like an, an iPad would go off. I mean, we were surrounding them in stereo with the customer that we had just gotten for them. And at that point they were like, yeah, I'm gonna press that one button to take that customer for sure. Of course, powering this, we had really great algorithmic 
you know, predictive, you know, availability so that we were doing our very, very best to, to make that response instant for you to the best of our ability and then confirm it after the fact. So it was really a mix of digital product and operations that made our first product excellent and garnered that early adoption. So one, have the right product and make sure that it's solving the like hair on fire existential problem for your customer. And then, you know, two, you got to scale that. So even though we had this great solution, we were going around and I mean, it was literally you feet go on the door street. To door? Yes. I mean, you, this, you counsel about sales, like sales is sales, sales is sales. Yeah. You don't, a solicitor on the phone, you know, at least when we were building that early, that early network yeah. effect, like we had to have the marquee customers. I wanted the best of the best. We were a luxury brand. We really curated. So yeah, I had, you know, we'd go to door to door to your local nail salon, your local blowout studio. I mean, I know it's funny. They're all still saved in my phone. I just, the iPhone always just like, you know, transfers over all of the numbers you've ever had. Yeah. So if, if anywhere you need to call, especially in Chicago, some in Dallas and DC, I have all of them on my phone from, <laughs> from all of those early, early sales calls. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that, you know, the, the sales cycle was obviously not working, right. You know, you know, I know yeah. you preach all the time about, about funnel and, you know, a disciplined running a disciplined sales process. And what we were doing door to door was clearly not going to scale. So, you know, the breakthrough when it came to scaling the product that actually worked was serving them demand before they were actually served a contract and had agreed to be a, a merchant. We called that process backfill. It's probably par for the course now in terms of marketplace models. But to our knowledge, we were, we were very, very early in doing this. We would just publish salons and spas, we'd publish their menu, we'd publish photos, and we would bring them customers. Do you know that my sales cycle went from three months to three days, and our conversion went from 30% to 70%? Because even if they were angry that I said, hello, I've just brought you a customer, I've paid for their appointment, they're coming in at this date, they were delighted once they learned that, that these were real customers who were coming in to really bring them businesses to, to yeah. really, you know, to really, you know, fill their seats. So one, build the right product. Don't make it a vitamin, make it morphine. And two, like you got to figure out a way to reach, to, 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 to have the numbers make sense. And if you can delight them early, you're going to get their attention faster. Well, I, I think the when I, when I hear what you're saying, and and this is something that I talk about quite a bit, is yeah, go door to door, like do whatever you have to do to figure out how to get one, and get two, and get three, to get four, like one at yes. a time. Don't try to get a hundred. Don't try to scale it and put all this automation and all this stuff around it. Don't hire a hundred people to go out and do it, and they're all going to do it a different way. Like you go out, like you are walking door to door with all these people, and you figure out hands-on what it is they're looking for and so before mm -hmm. you're kind of selling this feature then you learn hey i don't sell features i sell value i sell the thing that you actually mm -hmm. want and then you can backfill the rest of the other features that go along with it and then it becomes the whole platform versus a feature totally. type of thing. totally yes alex so you started to figure all this, this out or my friend i, I maybe, maybe once eh, sometimes twice but when so when you think about it you are starting to do this. You have your team, you figured out product, you're starting to change it a little bit. What does the team look like? Because 
you and I both know that from a sales perspective, when you're the founder, the, the passion comes out without really trying, right? The energy's there. You've been doing this, eat, sleep, breathe it for years. And now you're like, you know what? I can't do this all by myself. I'm not necessarily at the full on scale phase, but I got to get other people to sell a little bit so that I can go do other things, fundraise, product, delivery, customer support, like whatever it is outside of just sales. Walk us through a little bit about like, how do you think about hiring? What were your first few hires, your first non kind of founder sales leaders, that type of thing? Totally. Yeah. So on the demand side, you know, I don't think you can, at least in my experience, early sales leaders were as senior as they get. And by that, I don't mean like fancy, expensive people who are used to working in really big corporations with giant bonuses. I mean, frankly, fellow founders, like, you know, very creative, very determined, naturally, you know, excel at BD, very relationship oriented. So, you know, it's when you're still in the entrepreneurial moment, it's a little different when we, when we exited and had like, and then, and then figured it out. I mean, by the time we were acquired, we had product market fit. We figured out the strategy, not just here in Chicago, but in six cities nationwide. And we were really pouring gas on the fire. So we were much more scientific about team metrics that we were tracking through all stages of the funnel, how we were growing, how we were organizing, what operational support they needed, et cetera. But that first person who's not you, I mean, they're representing your brand. They're, 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 they're an extension of, of you, the founder. They are the, 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 manif the manifestation of, of the value prop, right? So, so it's a super, super important hire. We actually bought, brought on board a, an advisor who had been close to the business, deeply understood, you know, how like viral this product could be, how easy and seamless it was to fit into the existing salon and spa operations, had been through those, those, those phases of iteration where, you know, we failed and we, and we really messed up and, and could speak very elegantly about how easy the solution was and how you were just going to get customers. So you know, super important hire and, 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 and it didn't take much after that, right? A, a really great leader who gets you those first marquee accounts, then you can start, you know, scaling from there and, and, and kind of filling in, filling in the team with, with, with yeah. folks who don't necessarily have that like panache, but like you really needed it at first. So when you, so you're starting to get some traction, you're starting to, you know, you're not involved in every single sale that's out there. And then what, what is it that all of a sudden you say, Hey, let's pour some fuel on this. Like, what are the, like you and I, you and I are both big data people, big numbers people. We look at our metrics, we look at and say, Hey, like let the numbers help us understand the, the business health. Like, what was it exactly that you're like, this is it. This is working. Like we truly do have product market fit. Let's, let's yeah. go. Yeah. 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 So on our, 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 our supply side acquisition had gotten so smart that we could sort of put that on, on autopilot for a second or, and, 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 but the next thing that I needed to turn my attention to that we haven't thought about, and this is why marketplaces are so hard is the demand side. So in, in a marketplace, like it doesn't matter if you have ample demand, if you're imbalanced 
with supply. It doesn't matter if you have the very best businesses, if you don't have the customers and none of it matters if you don't have the product in between, that's like, you know, amazing. Like name the app on your phone that you go to multiple times a month. Not that many of them, maybe six or seven, like not more than that. Right. So, so yay for us. We had figured out a great sales strategy. Not enough. Right. Like then we had to really, so it, you know, We weren't ready to pour gas on the fire until we had figured out real-time on-demand marketing with a native app that required a download. Super hard. Um, So there, you know, we we ended up figuring it out. But but you know, our number one channel actually became referral once we got the product to be amazing. But in the early days, it was it was super hard, you know, to figure out how to, how to find customers. I mean, we were like standing on the corner, like handing out, cause again, it's like hyper local, right? 2010, right. we're like, what a free manicure, what a free manicure. <laughs> so, and, and, we, and we would do that. We would go, we would go to buildings and we would do manicure parties inside consulting firms and law firms. And anyway, you get the flywheel going locally, you know, and, and, and we, we, we were able to figure out, you know, how to get enough demand going that, that, but then we'd, we'd run into problems on the, on the, on the, the product side. You know, we started out, this was, this was, I mean, we started the business in 2009. The iPhone was only two years old, 2010, really, uh, three years old. So like, you know, we didn't start out as an app. We started out as a website. Name the website you go to, 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 to manage your consumer life more than once a month. Right. Maybe, maybe right. not. Right. Um, right. now. So, so, so there were really three parallel work streams that had to collide. And only when we had a native app with the very best salons and spas in a city with a delightful booking experience with enough customers because of like guerrilla marketing, basically to ignite a market, could we then say, all right, this market's ready to go. And then it was out of home. It was, you know, geolocated ads. It was you know, lighting up every single salon and spa you could ever think about. And then, and then ultimately post Groupon acquisition, which was the strategy there, right? Mm -hmm. Like Groupon already had every, every single salon and spa that we were targeting nationwide. You know, they had 50,000 salons and spas that we considered to be sort of worthy of this convenience forward, you know, curated, you know, brand experience. And then, you know, 5 million health, beauty, and wellness customers, all, all contributing to a billion dollar health, beauty, and wellness vertical for Groupon. However, with anemic frequency, negative growth, people not coming back. So you see, you can sort of see the beauty in this, in this marriage, which was like, we have this thing that customers really want. They really want convenience. They want seamless payment. They want a super easy way to book on an app. And then you've got this dinosaur over here who has all of the the ingredients. So it was really post-acquisition where we were able to put our secret sauce of innovation together with a 90-person sales team and, you know, much larger marketing budgets and a really yeah. great, you know, product design and engineering effort to make it to make it really, you know, scale nationally. And it was super exciting. You know, it was a it was yeah. All all acquisitions can, can are you know not, none of them are easy, but for a long time it was a really beautiful chapter. I think for for all of us involved. Yeah. So when you think of pre-acquisition, there was a time like how did you know that act like this was the right time for an acquisition? That this was going to be the right play? A lot of times it's hey let's go raise more money. 
Groupon I know at the time, especially in Chicago, they're located there. They were buying up all kinds of companies. Like, how did you know when you're thinking it, you're getting some good traction, you're moving in the right direction that you're like, you know what? Like, this is, this is the play right here. Like what, what, what were your unit economics? I know that you're huge in unit economics, but like, what was your sales team like? Like, was there something that was like, you were running into, you're like, Hey, you know what? We gotta, we, we need some more help. We need more fuel instead of me fundraising individually. Let's go have this behemoth just like throw money at us and then we'll just dump a 90 person team into our lap. 100%. That was it. That was it. And, and, and the truth is like, you know, you got to stare at those student economics and answer very, very honestly as, as a founder, as a leader, does this model, what does this model need in order to be successful? Is this is this a venture backable model that has a high confidence chance of being, you know, of returning of returning a you know a, a great multiple for all all everyone at the party? You know, it was going to be a really really long road. I had so much passion for the mission and what we were doing. I was so proud of my team and how innovative we were in a resource constrained environment to figure out a lot when almost all of our competitors had failed. We had really beautiful proof points, again, in six markets nationwide. Like, we were onto something. And yet, when I looked at our unit economics on the demand side, you know, we were acquiring a customer for, you know, pretty efficiently, let's say 40 bucks. We go and you get a $40 manicure and we get to keep 20% of that, that's eight bucks. So they got to come back five times before your unit economic, your GP positive on that, on that customer. That's a lot. That's a lot. Right. We better have the very best salons and spas, not just in Chicago, but in every city and state nationwide. We better have, you know, not just an okay experience in, a, in an okay app, but like a ridiculously amazing experience every time that just feels like, you know, total endorphin rush every time you book an appointment. So I, that was the writing on the wall for me, coupled with the fact that, and like, listen, You know, I think if you've got enough emotional runway, you figure out the financial runway and you make it happen and you make your dreams come true for yourself and your team and your shareholders. So I did have that emotional runway, but it, but it was pretty logical to me that, that, that the unit economics weren't working. We require a lot of kind of triage there to figure out other approaches financially to make, to make it really work without just being beholden to more and more raising all the time. So it would have required a ton of money, a ton of capital, a ton of time only to go and acquire the same salons and spas and the same customers that Groupon already had. And it wasn't like we were just being subsumed into this like anachronistic discount model that rhymes with coupon. I mean, the whole point was to reinvigorate a publicly traded billion dollar P&L with convenience and frequency, Mm -hmm. which they desperately needed. So it's hard. It's super hard when you go public so early like Groupon did. It's super hard when the street has expectations for you. It's a very, very difficult place to innovate when you've been so focused on like relentless, like ops efficiency and just slinging deals really well globally. So it was a very hard place to to really innovate. However, um, again, we took a shot at it for a couple of years and it was really, it was really fun. And we almost got there is what I'd say. Did you, did you go to Groupon or did Groupon come to you? Oh, they came to us. I was, I was out there raising money. I knew what I knew about the unit economics, but I was like, gonna fix them and make them work. And they yeah. came back again and again, actually. And I really, you know, I, I, I have such affinity for the team that really pushed for our, you know, deal 
because, because they needed us and they needed a, a different brand. They needed a different story. Again, it was a billion dollar business that was declining. And we were like, we were a part of the growth engine. And that was, that was yeah. really rewarding for That's my team. Awesome. It felt good for all of us. So it was a, it yep. was a great experience. It came to us. At first, it was not a good brand fit. It was not a good product fit. It was not a good customer experience fit. I didn't see the vision. But when I saw how complementary the models could be with the same set of assets, I, I also really started to see gotcha. you know, how, how we could help turn around this, this giant business. And it was yep. exciting. Yeah, that makes sense. So when so you, you build pretty quick, sell it to Groupon, you're at Groupon for a little while, and you leave and you all of a sudden you create equilibria and you stay in the essentially women's industry women's wellness space women's power space like you're still like your target market really hasn't changed over 10 12 years walk us through a little bit about equilibria and kind of where you where like what exactly you guys did I mean, Alex, maybe I need to, you know, try a different customer here, right? Like, come on, Coco, spice it up a little bit. <laughs> it's really, it's really been like 20 years because my very first job ever was, wow. yeah, was, yeah. was brand marketing at L'Oreal in New York and then in Paris. So I just, you know, it is, it's a real passion area for me. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm so supportive of just women prioritizing themselves and and I just can't I can't stop I can't get away from it. But with Equilibria, so so first I took a minute and I began actively angel investing in and just applying all of the learnings, right? Like what a what an incredible learning experience. I'm so grateful. You know, win, lose, succeed, fail, whatever. Like you just you learn so much as you know from from hosting this awesome show, from all of your businesses, like it's so like lucky. I feel so lucky to like be an entrepreneur and, 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 and like learn these, these hard, hard lived, hard earned lessons like every day. So I wanted to stay close to early stage. I wanted to give back to other female founders. I wanted to write checks and I wanted to apply the lessons that I had learned, i.e., don't build business models that aren't good. Look that's for that's a good learning. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. No matter how passionate you are, seriously about like, you know, what is it the cascading waterfalls of disbelief for? You know, like don't set yourself up for everything have to, having to go right, right? Like, I mean, just how about one thing goes right, right. one thing pays for itself, and then you scale that. You know, and, and I had, again, I was uh, pretty quick was a labor of love and um, a dedication to an ultimate mission. And we did a, a hell of a job and almost got there with the business model. But, you know, I learned a lot about about not just the market, but the model making sense from the beginning. So I began investing in either recurring revenue businesses or businesses that for whatever reason were able to demonstrate, you know, gross profit, profitability. GP, GP positive on the first transaction. I mean, again, all about sales and marketing discipline. Do you founding team obsess over your unit economics all of the time? Where are your customers coming from? How much are you paying for them? If they have to come back a couple of times to be, to, to generate gross profit for you, are they doing that? And if not, like, it's probably not going to work. 
Do not sit around hoping for your customers to come back. Ensure that they do, you know, with lower budgets and experimentation and, and, and then, and then scale, scale that winning formula. So that's what I did. I I invested in women who were building, you know, consumer products with really great go-to-market strategy behind them. And, and I met my, re-met my, my co-founder, Marcy Capron, who is a super talented technologist and full stack engineer and just a product leader. She actually had built the first version of this software agnostic version, you know, solution for pretty quick. So we collaborated together in the past, you know, we were having so much fun catching up and I'm like, what are you working on? Hoping I could back her next company. She just sold her consultancy to a larger one. And, and I mean, she got me, it was so powerful. What she said next was, I'm not, I'm not doing great. I'm not doing okay. I'm not doing well. It's been a really hard couple of years. And I was, I mean, just, she was so, one of the things that I really respect about her is just how real she is and, you know, how important that kind of real talk is, especially among women who, you know, have a lot going on in their bodies and their lives and their minds kind of caretaking and juggling and balancing all of this stuff, which is never, never easy. So she was just very real with me. I'm not okay. I got stuck in, in a kayaking accident in an eddy and my, her, her spine was rendered basically immobile. It was very hard for her to walk for, um, for many months. And it was a high quality CBD that she was gifted for her birthday, which got her off of the pain meds that she was otherwise using to, to manage this injury. And after taking this high quality, full spectrum CBD daily for not weeks, but months, not only was she seeing physical symptom relief, but also so much more in terms of mental health, mood stability, just like, you know, patience, um, optimism, like real stress relief, real 360 sort of relief. So this sounds like bullshit. But one ingredient can do so many things for the body until you begin understanding how cannabinoids and specifically CBD interact with the endocannabinoid system, which is our body's master balancing system. Uh, The ECS is responsible for regulating and helping other systems get to homeostasis. And when our circadian rhythms are off or when our like, you know, fight or flight, like response to anxiety is off or, you know, our body's ability to manage pain is off. Like everything else is off. Right. So I fell hook, line, and sinker into this like very exciting, progressive plant-based field where one, we could help women who are balancing a lot all at once, restore balance. And two, you have to take it daily in order for it to work. So we had a really beautiful built-in subscription model. And three, we were not just another products company. Always from the beginning, we have invested in real education as we've expanded into other wellness ingredients. What was our dosage specialist team? We started out always with a service providing essentially like telehealth, but for functional medicine. All right. of those folks are now certified wellness coaches so that we are, you know, we can hold space for women, talk to her in a credible way with a certified team, highly educated team about what's going on really in that real talk spirit. 
And now, you know, we don't just have CBD, we've got functional mushrooms, we've got nootropics, we are launching some really exciting nutrition and gut health products shortly. So we're really expanding quickly and meeting women with all sorts of, of, of real life problems that she, that she has. And it's super, super, super gratifying, all in a model, you know, that, 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 that scales really nicely if you, you do indeed need to take it daily, which you genuinely do with supplements. So this is interesting because you go from a software marketplace, essentially B2B plus marketing on the other end to, to generate, you know, the, 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 the guests or the buyers from pretty quick to the complete opposite or just something so vastly different from like physical product, something that obviously even goes into your body, not just something that you wear, but something that goes into your body. It's on a, on a on a subscription. It is it is a form of um, education that that people need to understand because everybody understands on how to get their nails done, or that's a thing that that you know that is part of the wellness package. But like CBD is not a very well understood product. There's a million different kinds from broad spectrum, full spectrum, all these different things. You can take it in a variety of different ways, from drops to gummies to creams to totally. you know whatever it is right there's all these different things and so many different products plus a million different types of marketing make it so it's like what do i trust what do i not trust is this healthy for me is this not healthy for me how how do you go from hey this is straightforward i bring you the customer you paint the nails you give me some money you get a bunch of money here you go right i'd probably oversimplify that just a tad to I wish it was I mean, that you, simple. Didn't we talk about how hard it was, Alex? It was yeah, that simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna. I, I have a tendency to do that. So now over here, you are you are helping in such a different way. Obviously, today yeah. is so much different than you know the early 2010s, that type of thing. It's it is mental health. It is stress. There's social media is at an all time high. That didn't exist back mm -hmm. then. Like no, now, don't. you look at it, it like. I think there's a lot of people who are out there who are doing one thing and have an idea for a business, which they don't really have a lot of familiarity as, as far as like the motion or that model. How did you get comfortable with that? How did you, what, like, what did you do to kind of get yourself into that place in order to be able to be as passionate and as energized and as excited as you are obviously about it? Awesome. Yeah. Great question. Couple things. One, you hit on like the like the importance of of wellness and like 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 legit like you know the the kind of whole point of functional wellness is like you know epigenetic like theory says like take care of yourself so that you it's all prophylactic it's all we're, 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 we're really a healthcare company here right like it's super important if you you know have you know nurture your nutrient status get enough sleep think about exercise and movement you know manage your toxins you know like avoid inflammation or manage inflammation like these are real science-based research backed pillars that like meaningfully change your life and like improve your life and make it better so that hopefully you're avoiding 
not that we're anti-pharma at all, but like you're, you know, you're really taking control of your own like body and like mental health. And I just, I, I'm, it's, it's, I thought booking manicures was important. It is, but like, I can let that go. What I, what I can't let go is like, yeah, like feeling good in your own mind and body. Like it's, it's, it's really like, I mean, I cannot tell you like the, the stories that we hear from members about like, just like having a calm mind, being better parents, sleeping for the, through the night for the first time in like decades, being intimate with their partner because they like felt like they, you know, were calm and not stressed. Like, it's just like actually life-changing. So enough of the soapbox, but like, I guess that's the first point. Like if, if it really matters, like you'll figure out the right way, like a way to, to, to do it. And, 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 and I heard Marcy's story and then I began taking it. I also have an autoimmune condition. So for me, I was able to take my like injectable biologic drug about a third as often. Again, so grateful that I have that drug, but like would love to be able to use plants to kind of control that if I possibly or minimize my reliance on, on chemicals and synthetics as much as I could. So like, plus, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think of myself really as like an anxious person. The minute I was on the CBD, daily CBD routine, I also felt like just more even. My highs were still joyful, but they weren't quite as high. And my lows were not, I just was like more even. And I have a longer fuse with my kids and like, I felt it too. So I think yeah. all of those things have to be true. If you're going to make any sort of pivot like this and like, dive into something else you have to really dive one two um this wasn't actually in a way this was sort of like the the perfect marriage of my of my roots which are in cpg brand management with physical product at l'oreal like straight up marketing product and then pretty quick was all about a service a digital service and getting that right and this is bringing both together because we were never ever just a dtc cpg company Equilibria knows that the market is flooded with those. What we seek to do is like educate and empower women to like take control of their own wellness journeys. And that's why, yes, we have a product because we believe deeply in functional medicine to help you. But like, really, we're there through, you know, soon an AI generated app. But now, always, you know, people first, you know, wellness coaches who are, who are driving all that machine learning and who are helping women legit on the phone and through SMS and through text, like live better lives. So it it was Equilibria's products plus services, which just feels like, you know, a really great, again, balance. Finally, we early on, I mean, this is the wild, wild west, cannabinoid, CBD, all of the other cannabinoids, you know, don't trust them. Still, you shouldn't. The cannabis industry is in real distress. So what we did early on was we, early on, we became strategic partners by buying in to a vertically integrated hemp company in Colorado. So we actually did own the supply chain from the genetics all the way through to the farming, processing, finished goods, manufacturing, like the whole thing, soup to nuts. So, you know, we, we sort of bought credibility that way by, by becoming deep entrenched partners with people who were making this, you know, this, this plant-based medicine. Well, you got to know your product inside and out from when it first is created essentially or grown to, to actual delivery. 
and you can you can tell that the that the passion and just overall like product conviction is there. I mean, I, I take it. I know that I, I don't take it on a daily regimen, but but I do take it when I when it's more of a like an ad hoc basis as I need it. And it totally it, it's amazing. And when you it's one of those things that's just so misunderstood. And so when when you're starting out this company and you know you've you've done your research, you've figured out the model, you've done all these things, how do you start to get your first customers? Like there's a level of trust that the brand needs to create in order for someone to say, I'm going to buy from you and I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to put it into my body and I'm going to believe that all the stuff that you say on your website and in your marketing materials is true. And you've specifically said, I'm for women, I'm for women, women's health, I'm for women's mental health. You can talk the talk yourself. Obviously your co-founder can talk the talk, but now we get into the business side of this. Like, how are we actually generating customers from this? Yeah. So I knew, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, just how valuable all of your failures are. And all, everything that's hard will come back to you in spades because you're, you're like, really, you're, like, improving yourself in those moments, right? And, like, I knew from pretty quick how how difficult customer acquisition really, really is. I mean, people think it's going to be easy. It's never easy. It's always the hardest part. It is so hard. Customer acquisition. Yeah. You know, so what was really mind blowing to me about these products is that if once I started giving them to my friends, because, you know, we were owners in the scent farm. So I said, I'd say, guys, like, you know, anybody want to try some CBD? And I'd explain what it was. And my friends would text me immediately. Give me more of those magic pills. Can I come by? I was like, literally, like the moms would drop their kids off at one school and pop by my house and like leave it outside. And this is all like, you know, prototyping. And really, we were just testing the idea of whether or not people would subscribe. And like, it was so clear that this stuff works, just as you said. And, you know, if you do take it daily, you'll find that those systemic benefits are even greater. So it was really like, that's the magic that I will now only ever pursue or invest in is like real, you know, demand is just there. The product works, demand was there. Once you try it, like there was no question that, you know, our lifetime value could be that of wine Forever, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Advil or, yeah. you know, I mean, if we're doing our job right, like this is such a powerful substitute for so many other things in life. And that was just like so clear from early, early feedback. But, but like, how did I get, how did I get that early feedback? You know, back to those pretty quick days of like going and throwing a manicure party, real women in a real room talking about real shit that was really going on with our bodies. Marcy and I went to dozens of homes here in the city, out in the suburbs with very generous like advisors and mentors and friends and family hosting these gatherings for us. And we were really evangelizing and educating about what in the world CBD was. Will it get you high? How do you know you should trust it? Should you take a thousand milligrams or should you take 10? As you said, should you use a vaginal suppository or a patch or under the tongue or whatever? Like it, there's so many more questions than answers. And through this like real vulnerable, like shit isn't okay. Plus 
here's a plant-based solution conversations, like real magic happened. And it was in those like early, we, we, we just talked to women and we got it into their hands. And then we launched a beta subscription product in late 2018 and, and really launched the website in, in early May of 2019, sorry, March. And then like, what is word of mouth marketing on steroids? Influencer marketing. Women talking to women, not in a room with 10 people, but like in their stories to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, like that is actual magic. None of, you know, all of, all of our incredible, amazing influencer partners, you know, try our product, tried our product, talked to our team, took it daily, had life-changing results. And only if they did, would we allow them to like, talk about that. If they don't, no big deal, no hard feelings at all. But like when, when you experience like kind of a, a life-changing, like really positive thing, like you want, you really want to share it. So I think like that's the, the insight is that when something really works, like there's no substitute for word of mouth marketing. It's just, there's more modern and scalable ways to, to look at word of mouth in this, in this beautiful world in which we live. This is kind of the version of product-led growth, right? Take the product, let people talk about it and say just how amazing it is. Because when it works and it does what you say it's going to do, people will talk. People we call will it the brunch people effect. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And nurture that, you know, and nurture that with referral, nurture that with affiliate codes. Yeah. And, and everybody's an influencer. I mean, we are so grateful to our incredible community of, of influencers and content creators and we've, who've been on this journey with us for four years. And also, you know, health and wellness professional professionals, our very own members, brand partners, like there's not one like-minded, you know, woman out there who, who, if they try it and they love it, isn't also an evangelist. So yeah. I feel like we've got just this like army of women around the nation and it's so gratifying. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want to take a little bit of a, a trip down back, back through memory lane, I guess. When you think about whether it's your current company or, 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 or pretty quick, what is, what is one or two things that you look back and you would do differently? Or you would maybe at pretty quick, you've said, Hey, I made this mistake and you, now you didn't make it at equilibrio. Like what are some of the kind of the gotchas that you're like, I, I to, to point out? Oh, well, how much time do we have left, Alex? <laughs> I know I've said this a couple of times, but again, like, you know, they're so hard in the moment, all the gotchas, and then they just they they become a part of your toolkit, and they're they're a source of they're a source of strength. And so, you know, um, I, I started a tech company without a technical co-founder. Shame on me. That was dumb. Don't do that again. Didn't do it again the second time. I started a business that I loved, and a lot about it was great, except for the underlying business model. Don't do that again. I just invested in an awesome next gen pretty quick, but it's for next gen facials and fillers and Botox. I've actually invested in two of them now and just trying to, to, to help these founders avoid the pitfalls that we had. But the, the, a 20% margin on a $600 filler service, different, right? Than that, than that, than that $40 manicure. So yeah, $40. Um, yeah different. So 
surround yourself with the right people, especially in, in terms of complementary co-founder skill sets. Don't, don't waste time with a business model that isn't unit economic viable ever. Um, I'm reading a book right now called quit by Annie Duke and she's so yeah. great. And, you know, just takes this incredible, you know, data-driven behavioral science approach to everything. And, and, you know, kind of the science of when to walk away, I think is super, super, super interesting. I, I would say that there were, you know, there were people who said with pretty quick that we should have given up sooner. And that just because it was so hard for so long, like literally built the wrong thing. And then we literally went door to door and it took forever to get adoption. And then, you know, the business model still wasn't working. So it was like so many layers of like headwind, 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 just like down and again and again. And yet it was our persistence that totally paid off. Thank goodness we didn't quit. You know, so I would just say like, that's another like watch out is they don't take all the advice that you get from everybody. People are going to tell you a lot, like really filter that advice and make sure it's like the right advice for the right time. There there are times to walk away and kind of leave it on the table. And then there's times when like, you know, if you still have emotional and financial runway, like, you know, right. you got to be really prepared for, for, you know, very dark days ahead as you know, so well, but like they're, they're rewarding. Um, right. Okay. What else? That was a little more, you know, emotional. Well, let, let's, let's flip it. Let's flip it to all the positives. So when you think about both pretty quick and equilibria, like what, what would you say are top one, top two things so far, maybe with equilibria that you've done to scale revenue? Yeah, I think, I think, I think we've, I think I've applied so many of the learnings from pretty quick to equilibria. We have, you know, a beautiful, ambassador network of these longtime influencers, new and old, that are genuine partners of the brand. Um, when they share about their results with Equilibria, their members benefit by using their discount code and trying something that legitimately we think will change their life. And we hear that from our members that it is changing her life. They benefit through a revenue share with us. We benefit from, you know, growth that's less risky. It's not just throwing random dollars over to Meta and hoping that you see those customers come back. So I think, you know, really being maniacal about attribution in the marketing mix, it's much, much harder in this brand marketing world where it's, it's certainly getting harder. Attribution is getting harder. iOS 15 yeah. did change digital marketing forever. So there's that there's another hard, really hard thing that I think we're all still reeling through and trying to figure out. And if you have any solves for, you know, great attribution models post iOS 15, like, let me know. But next. that'll be next time, Alex. Thank you. But yeah, you know, subscription, recurring revenue, lifetime value, focusing on frequency, focusing on retention, making that your number one job, I think is a really important, you know, lesson that I've applied it pretty quick and would encourage everybody to think deeply about from the beginning culture and team, how we've scaled, you know, it's been super challenging in, in more recent years, just because CBD has run into more industry headwinds as the FDA has not regulated. From reminder, CBD is federally legal, but not yet FDA regulated. So it's still very challenging out there. And there is, you know, some, some, there's waning sec, there's a lot of sector headwinds out there. Yeah. Um, so managing the team and kind of keeping morale high through these really hard, hard 
times together after we've had so much success and wins is is hard. But you know, coming back to mission all the time, putting culture first, thinking about all of the good that we're doing for our members is 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 you know just like so rewarding. It's awesome. I love it. This has been such a blast. I love our conversation. We always get so far so deep and, and we also get real. So thank you for coming on. This is super fun. Thank you for having me, Alex. Thank you for, you know, helping so many people figure out that it doesn't matter how great your product is if no one knows about it. And you just, you That's do that true. in such a, get really, you know, fun and, and super informative way. So thanks for, thank thanks you. for doing the, the work you do. Thank you. Do you have a, a favorite book, favorite resource that you recommend? It could be quit by any Duke, but it, any, anything else you recommend? The practice of groundedness is one more that I'm going to throw out there. Um, entrepreneurship is hard. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be entrepreneurship. Um, and That's just true. like kind of living a little more, um, with the art of low expectations. I think I'm, I'm harnessing my inner Buddhist a little more these days, like high hopes, low expectations is sort of what this book talks about and its applicability to business and, you know, like sustainability and, and really empowering leaders to hang on and, and develop that Teflon around them. Um, no, kind of no matter what the world throws at you. Groundedness, it's a, it's a great one, the practice of groundedness. I like that. I haven't read that one, so I want to. I want to pick it up. How does the uh, how does the audience get more of you? Website, LinkedIn, Twitter, yeah, Facebook page, MySpace. MyEQ dot com is where you'll find Equilibria. If you need any CBD or mushrooms or nootropics or any other you know functional medicine supplements, so check us out there. Plus, you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Coco Mears. Perfect. And we will, we will link all of the social handles. Last, last tips, any more cocoa wisdom, anything else that you want to, want to share? If you build it, they will not come. They will Most not of your come. time and energy should be focused. Hiring Alex Newman to help you with all of your go-to-market <laughs> needs because it's really freaking hard. Yeah. It uh, is customer acquisition hard. and retention are the lifeblood of your business, no matter how breakthrough you think your company is you'll, you'll, you know, I think that obsession is what differentiates, you know, the, the, the great from the good. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on. We are going to have to have you on again. This was a lot of, this was a lot of fun. I had a blast. Me too, Alex. Thank you for having me. All right. See you soon. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.